2,000 years ago, this was an incredible Sunday. A day where Jesus was coming as King, presenting Himself to the people. In our text this morning, Luke chapter 19, we read about this in verses 36 to 38. As He was going along, they were spreading their clothes on the road. Now he came near the path down the Mount of Olives, and the whole crowd of the disciples began to praise God joyfully with a loud voice for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the King who comes. Blessed in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven, and glory in the highest heaven. Blessed is the King who comes. Now, when we think of the Passion Week or Easter, a lot of times we think in terms of theology and doctrine and Christian belief and Christian faith. Now, a lot of celebration does not include those things, but Easter is a significant holiday for even the secular world. What is it that took place this week? It began on this day with what we call the triumphal entry the presentation of the king. The king is coming. And I think it's important that we understand that any kind of faith or belief has a a system of doctrine or theology, and I'm not trying to minimize that at all. But the fact that the king came to present himself was not to establish a doctrine or give you just something to ascribe to, but He came for you. He came for people. And unless we allow the coming of the King to be recognized for me personally, it really doesn't mean anything. There are just facts out there. And I see in this Gospel of Luke, there are three times that Luke makes reference to the king coming. The king is coming. The first of these, really, we would turn back to chapter 2 and verses 10 to 14. And, and I would say the coming of the king in Luke chapter 2 is when Jesus came to earth. He was born in a cave. He was in a manger, which is a feeding trough for animals. And it says that the angels said to the shepherds, the angel said to the shepherds, don't be afraid, for look, I proclaim to you good news of great joy that will be for all people. Today in the city of David, a Savior was born for you, who is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be the sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped tightly in cloth and lying in a manger, Suddenly, there was a multitude of the heavenly host with the angel praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to people he favors. He has been presented the Messiah, the Lord, the King. And so when I see this first coming, the coming of God in flesh, in human form, before us in a humble circumstance, I think of this as we see him coming in humility. 
Because Jesus, when he was born, is still equal with God. In fact, we read this in Philippians chapter 2, that though Jesus was equal with God, he did not use that to his own advantage, but he humbled himself, he took on human form, and he came to be with us. Isaiah 7.14 says, Behold, a virgin will conceive and bear a son, and you'll call his name Emmanuel. And Emmanuel literally means God with us. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 6, it says that we see God in the face of Jesus Christ. So what God did in this first coming, the king, is come down, condescend, to get up close and personal with us. That's what he did. There is no way any of us could ascend to heaven. We, we are incapable of doing that. The only way for me to have a relationship with, with God is for him to come down. And he, and he came down, and what, what John even describes is that which we have seen with our eyes. We have, we have heard, we have handled, we've seen him. And this had been prophesied for years. And yet, people still did not recognize that he would come. God in our presence. This to me is one of the, the most beautiful things of all of Scripture. That God has wanted to come to where you are in the most humble place. To shepherds, to people who are common. He's born in a cave He's accessible, he's real, he's visible, he's there for you. The coming king. You may have been following the news this week on the discovery of the black hole. Any of you read about this? I know we've got a lot of scientists here too, but reading on this, but an incredible story of this discovery. The Wall Street Journey, uh, Journal said, in describing what is the black hole in space, black holes are objects with such strong gravity that nothing, including light, can escape once it falls beyond the event horizon. Because black holes do not emit light. Astronomers must infer their existence. This is interesting. They must infer their existence from the effects of their gravity on other objects. Black holes range in mass from about five times the mass of the sun to supermassive black holes millions of times the mass of the sun. In other words, for scientists this last week, it just, it blows your mind. It blows your mind. And what I thought of this is the immensity of God. The immensity of God. As a little child, I learned to pray this prayer, God is great. <laughs> And God is good. That, to me, that is great theology. But in God's immensity, He is transcendent above all things. He is self-existent. He is eternal. He is holy. He is just. He is immutable. In other words, He never changes. He's always the same. He's omnipresent. He's everywhere, all the time, all at once. Nothing is hidden from Him. He is omniscient. He knows everything. From past 
present, and future. He's omnipotent. He has all power. God has all power. He is just. Nothing gets by justice. And He is good. Everything about God is good. And He is sovereign. And He is king. And whether or not the world acknowledges it, whether or not I acknowledge it, Jesus is king. Now, the question is, that I want us to look at this morning. Is he your king? Is he your king? Because that's, that's why he came. He didn't come down to earth to establish that he is the king. He already is the king. He came down to earth to establish this fact that he is your king. He came that you might know him on a personal, real, intimate, relational level. So I ask you that question. Is that how you know him? Do you know about him? Do you read about him? Do you study him? Do you go to church and hear about him? Or do you have a real, vital, meaningful, personal relationship with the king? That's why he came. This last week I heard a touching story about one of my grandkids, and I'm always careful about that, but sharing these, but to me just illustrates this point. And I have uh, a grandson who is a believer, trusted in Jesus uh, a little earlier, and was watching something on television and said, I don't want to watch it anymore because it bothers me. And so it's turned off, and he had gone upstairs and was going to bed. And mom came in and talked a little bit about that and said, you know what that is? That's the Holy Spirit. That's Jesus in you speaking to you about things that are right and true and wrong and guiding and, and, and he's taking this in. And so the next, I think it was the next day that he said, mommy, I'm so happy. I'm so happy. So why is that? Because Jesus is speaking to me. And I know he's speaking to me, and I prayed to him, and he had several things that he had prayed about, and he answered my prayers. Now, I'm thinking as a grandpa, <laughs> you know, this is what you desire. Because as a parent, you can't make that happen. The work of the Holy Spirit is something God does. And Christianity is not, real Christianity is not real till it gets at that level. No amount of baptisms or church going or communion services or good works will ever replace a personal, real, vital, intimate relationship with Jesus. That's why he came in humble form to get on your level, up close and personal, for you to know him. This is why he came. Second, the king comes not just in humility, he comes in tragedy. And I say tragedy because on Palm Sunday, they are laying their coats and palm branches and, and, and he's coming in on a, a donkey which had been prophesied in, in the book of Zechariah. So you've got hundreds of years ago, all of this is being prophesied 
that he is coming. And they are saying, the king is coming. The, the, the Messiah is coming. And he's coming into Jerusalem. That's on Sunday. By Friday, he's hanging on a cross. You think, how does that happen? And all of those people are scattered. In Luke, and this is in Luke chapter 23. So the first one is in Luke chapter 2. The second that we, we see of him coming into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, beginning the Passion Week, the triumphal entry, and they are, they are saying, Hosanna! They are, they are praising him. But in Luke 23 it says, when they arrived at the place called the Skull, this is on Friday, they crucified him there, along with the criminals, one on the right and one on the left, Then Jesus said, Father, forgive them, because they do not know what they're doing. And they divided his clothes and cast lots. The people stood watching, and even the leaders were scoffing. He saved others. Let him save himself, if this is God's Messiah, the chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him. They came offering him sour wine and said, If you're the king of the Jews, save yourself. If you take the three and a half years that Jesus was in active ministry, he had thousands of people that followed him. He fed them. He taught them. He healed them. He cared for them. He loved them with a perfect love. There was nothing evil in him at all. Nothing evil in him. He was good. There's not one of us here that even come close to the life that he lived. He had kindness. He saw people in their need. He stopped. He paused. He was never in a hurry. He was not self-centered. He was not egotistical. He was not proud. He was not caught up in an agenda. He was amazing. And yes, they wanted a king. But the kind of king that they wanted was not the kind of king he was. They wanted a king that would help them on their horizontal level. We've talked about that. Their, 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 their life, their oppression by the Roman Empire. They wanted to be free from being under that. <clears throat> they wanted the bread, the food, the fish, the miracles. They wanted the great teaching. But his kingdom is an eternal kingdom that transcends everything on earth. And the kingdom that he wants begins in the heart. And this is what he wants to reach. When we talk about the kingdom, we're thinking about a lot of busyness and places, but but really the, 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 the kingdom is in my life. Who is on the throne of my heart? Who is on the throne of my life? Who's in charge? Now, if you're not sure, I can tell you what it probably is because the default is I'm in charge. And I live with the world revolving around me. And and I've not submitted myself to Him. 
Remember we've talked about in relationships the word submission, and we all hate <laughs> that word, but the way to the best life is learning what that really means. When I submit to Him as my Heavenly Father, my loving Heavenly Father, then I enjoy His eternal kingdom. Not just this, but beyond that. What had happened is when they found out that he wasn't going to pull out his sword and slay all the Romans and keep on providing everything they wanted, their self-styled religion of what feed me, heal me, help me, make me better, living on this horizontal level, they turned on him. I believe it was the greatest tragedy, the most painful injustice in human history. Nothing recorded in all of human history was so wrong, so unjust than this. And Jesus took it for you. He did not take it to make a point. He did not take it to be an example. He took it for you to take your sins on himself and to allow you to have a relationship with his father. And if, and if you don't get the personal nature of the crucifixion and you don't get the personal nature of the birth of Christ, then you've missed it all. He was rejected. He was falsely accused. Any of you ever have that happen to you? Unfairly tried, convicted, sentenced, tortured, and executed. Mocked and ridiculed, beaten, whipped, spat upon, crucified. Not only was he betrayed by those around him, those closest to him had abandoned him. He was left alone to die a criminal's death. And he said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Now you would think if we stop the story here, this is the greatest defeat, the greatest failure, the greatest injustice. And I imagine that Satan, with all of his demons, were high-fiving each other if they could be. That, you know, ah, we got, we did it, we did it. He's dead. And even, even his followers were discouraged. The Pharisees, the soldiers, the enemies... The demonic powers, I think, are all celebrating that they have won. They have defeated Jesus. And it's the lowest point. And then to see that even the disciples were saying, well, we had hoped, we had hoped, we had hoped. But it is also the greatest triumph of all time. When Jesus died on the cross he paid the penalty for sin now you talk about the, the the problem of evil you've heard that expression before i mean every that's everybody's question the problem of evil and no one has been able to resolve the problem of evil but jesus because when he died and shed his perfect blood he washed away the power to wash away all sin for everyone. And so 
sin is defeated. And what is the consequence of sin? Death. That's the other issue that scientists still haven't been able to figure out. How to defeat sin, how to defeat death. So those two impossible situations. People will sin, people will die. People will sin, people will die. All through the years that Jesus has conquered these by his death on the cross and his resurrection from the tomb. When he rose again, he conquered death. (laughs) And he now has the power to personally offer to you that gift. It's a gift. Don't try to pay for it. You don't deserve it. You haven't earned it. He's offering you this gift on a very personal level. Not as a whole. It's a very personal level. So when we read verses like John 3.16, which, which should be familiar to a lot of people, for God so loved the world. That means you. For God so loved, you put your name in there, that he gave his only son, that whoever, if you believe in him, you should not perish, but have everlasting life. Wow. <laughs> so, What seems to be the greatest tragedy is the greatest triumph. So that's his second. We see the coming to earth in Bethlehem. We see the coming to Jerusalem and the cross. And then the final coming that Luke talks about is just a couple chapters over in in Luke 21 is the king is coming. This is future now. Both the ones I've talked to have happened already. They were prophesied, they happened. They were prophesied, they happened. What's interesting, I mean, and there are just hundreds of prophecies, hundreds of prophecies from, uh, that have been dated and, and validated and it, that these happened, these would happen, they happened. And now there are more prophecies about the future than the other two combined. <laughs> Here's what's going to happen. In Luke 21, it says, there will be signs in the sun, the, sun, the moon, and stars There will be anguish anguish on earth among nations, bewildered by the roaring of the sea and the waves. People will faint from fear and expectation of the things that are coming of the world. That's that's what this black hole has caused scientists to do. They're they're fearing, what's going to happen if we get into the black hole? Will we vaporize? All this fearful conversation, you you can read about it if you want to. But it's amazing how the fear is gripping people. Because of the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. When these things begin to take place, stand up, he says, and lift up your heads because your redemption is near. So he comes again. He comes down for you, not to just make a statement, not to say he comes down for you. Those who believe, those who have trusted in him, those are his children. And he will take them with him to live with him and be with him forever. You say, on the other side, what about those that have rejected him, refused the gift, have, have stayed in their sin, have rejected him? The Bible also says that they will be judged because he is a just judge and he, and he cannot tolerate sin. So at that time... And it's not because God is not fair. 
In fact, the reason why we wait and wait and wait and wait and say, wonder when is he coming, is because God's great love for people and on, this, on this earth. He is coming in judgment and power, but praise God that none of us, when that day comes, need to fear. We will not be judged because all of the judgment that was headed toward me was put on Jesus. But if I don't believe in Jesus, each person will have to bear the judgment of their own sin for eternity. And that's what the Bible speaks of. He says, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that he is Lord, he is King, he is Messiah, and he will reign forever and ever and ever. So these three, his coming as a babe to be personal, his coming to Jerusalem to be crucified, his coming again to receive us to himself. The gospel, this is the gospel story, what I've described. It is the good news. It is beautiful and it is powerful. But it must become personal. It must become personal. Or it means nothing. To know Him, to become like Him, and to be with Him. My prayer is this. As you ask this question, has this become personal with me? Do I know Him as my Savior? Has He changed my life? Do I have the promise of being with Him one day? And you know, that's why we, as believers, can have more joy than anyone else on the face of the earth for what He's done. This is a glorious week to celebrate. Let's bow together as we pray. Father, we are so incredibly grateful for what you've done. Jesus is King. He is King. May we ask, is He my King? Is He your King? And Lord, I pray that you would open the eyes of people this week to see the love of God, why he came, what he did, and what he has promised. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.